So DLF has asked the DLF podcast to do a live read. I don't I don't do this. <laughs> I don't sell advertising space. I don't try and sell anything. But DLF is my home. It is my family. So I'm going to do them a solid here. Instead of putting the uh, other podcasts from DLF ad up at the top of uh, Dynasty Crossroads, uh, I'm just going to do this here live read. Um, again, not going to be paid to do it. I just think DLF's awesome. they got an awesome thing going on. And they asked, and I agree with it, so why not? Uh, let me see here. i got to pull it up. You can tell I'm real professional about this. All right, uh, so DLF would like you to know that if you are... God, can't do this properly, can I? Tired of the same old Dynasty format? Think you have what it takes to be a real champion? DLF has partnered with Safe Leagues and Commish Extraordinaire Scott Fish... Hey, Scott. ...to create a brand new DLF Champions Cup Series. That's DLF Champions Cup Series, just in case I stumbled that. In the DLF Champions Cup Series, you're matched up in a Superflex tight end premium with points and payouts awarded each year. Nice. The bonus is that every third year, you, your cumulative points go up against a larger field to see who wins the Champions Cup. That's a neat idea. Claim a team today and begin your journey to hoist the Champions Cup and claim $1,000. Wow, cool. Uh, that's the grand prize. Come prove it, I guess, is what they're saying. It seems like a pretty cool competition. Uh, DLF's running it along with Scott Fish. Actually seems like a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that, please hit up DLF Scott Fish or the DLF Champions Cup Series. Uh, you can find it on DynastyLeagueFootball.com backslash safe leagues. Thanks very much. Let's, let's do a podcast now or something, right? Um, what what do I call you now? What do we decide? Is it is it Stompy? Is yeah, it just call Stompy me Stompy. FF? I think I think everybody kind of knows or right who who listen into our area of podcasts. They know who I am. I think I prefer former FFB champion because it's okay. respectful, but at the same time, I'm putting former in there, which is yep. a little bit of shade. I like that. Pointing out that you're a loser now, like the rest of us. I so am a loser. That's, that's very much <laughs> in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm um, all right with that. Or your highness, um, or former couch guest, former Matt oh my God. couch. Yeah. Were you just not on that? Yes, I was. Yes. Is that not making it? Is that... <laughs> I yeah, I don't yeah there. I mean yeah I I would think so I I my name's out there now in in terms of like the larger community so that was really that was really cool though that's very cool man I haven't listened to a couch episode in forever not because I don't like them or they're not good but because I find it more and more difficult to cram podcasts in yeah right and that's normally like a three hour podcast like my interviews tend to be so yeah. <laughs> how long did you talk to him for was it. I think I think it was a little over hour an hour. Two. I think it was like yeah. hour fifteen, hour twenty. Very cool, man. Yeah, that um, was that was one of I, I mean that that was kind of a bucket list item, and I, I just yeah, that was a great. No, it was excellent. Can't wait to listen to it. I have to go look up that stream again so I can. Um, all right, so today we just have a few loose subjects we thought we'd talk about, right? So um, yep. the first one that you mentioned was rookie running backs. Um, and why, why don't you start off? What, like, why are you interested in talking about rookie running backs right now? 
Aren't they well, old now? They've been drafted. It's yeah. old news. Now. Is it? Is it? Are they like new cars where once you drive them off the lot, they they pretty much appreciate in value by like thousands of dollars? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one one I want to talk about is just because he might not be getting quote unquote under recognized, but I think just in terms of like those top four, three or four or five backs, he's just not talked about enough in my mind. That's JK Dobbins. Um, right. Because I think of the landing spot, everybody else, you can tell yourself a narrative about, I mean, Justin or Justin, uh, Jonathan Taylor goes to Indianapolis behind one of the best offensive lines in the game, especially best run offensive lines in the game. So lands in a great position. Um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire lands in Kansas city where they use their, uh, their their running backs in the receiving game, and he had a 55 reception season last season, which is bananas, like elite level prospect in terms of catching the ball. Um, and then like even even guys like Acres, where he landed, like he he's like the assumed RB one there, and Swift Swift is as well. Though we should I think worry a little bit more about Swift than we are, but yeah, Dobbins just isn't talked about all that much because he lands behind effectively he, he's the third i would say the third option in, in that backfield right because you have lamar jackson obviously i think is the number one option in terms of running the ball um and then you have mark ingram who was extremely efficient last season did only get 202 carries but put up rb1 numbers he only had 250 total touches i believe so i believe among the lowest in terms of um those top 12 running backs but the thing with J.K. Dobbins is he – I mean, he's better. He's just better. He's a better – I think better prospect than Ingram. Not to say Ingram was at all a bad, bad prospect. Obviously, winning the the Heisman doesn't make you a bad prospect whatsoever. It took him a while to get started in terms of his career. But, I mean, J.K. Dobbins is just, I think, a bigger, faster running back, and he lands in an offense that – is going to run the ball. They're run heavy. We know that. And even if it's this year, I can see him taking on a, a Nick Chubb type rule that he had with Carlos Hyde, where he may not, maybe the first eight games or so it's, it's Mark Ingram's show and Dobbins gets that relief work. And maybe he hits a home run or two, like, like Chubb. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I, I don't want to compare those two in terms of prospects, but, um, and then as the season wears on and Dobbins starts to get more and more carries and takes it over, he could be a league winner in the second half of the season for you if you want to take a swing and like redraft for, for him. Um, but yeah, and, and then the next year, it's his backfield. I mean, Justice Hill isn't going to be the RB1 there. Gus Edwards is just a guy at this point. Um, so it, I just – I feel like Dobbins could – could I'm not saying he will, but could be – end up being the RB one in this class, especially in the situation that he has landed. And I just think that he needs to get more recognition and should, I mean, he can be used this year, but I think his future might be as bright as Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. No, in the running backs, I think there's a few things going on. One, there's a clear top five. This reminds me of Denzel Mims in a weird way that I might get to later, but, um, and like you said, I like, I like, I think you had it when you just said J.K. Dobbins is just a better prospect than these guys. He yeah. got as good, if not better, of draft capital than most of them. 
like he was picked 55 overall, which was better than Cam. Well, it's the same as Cam Maker, three spots later. It's slightly better than it's a lot better than Keyshawn Vaughn and Zach Moss. If you want, like he was drafted where we wanted him to go. If you can't be a first yeah. round pick, you ex- went exactly where you wanted him to go. Good landing spot, good draft capital. Um, and the team loves to run. Um, I think the the only ding on J.K. Dobbins, and I mean it all, like, no, you're talking about him as a receiver. He got like 13% of his yeah. yards came from the receiving game, which is fine. That's really good. That's a yeah. lot better than Jonathan Taylor, for example. It's a lot better than most of these guys. I think the average for a top 12 running back is 15%. And that's because, you know, you've got some people like uh, Derek Henry not getting it, hardly any, or Melvin Gordon for that matter, and that drags it down. So usually you want slightly higher. Receiving game is important for top 12 running backs. It just is. And now that we're at the Adrian Peterson era, as it were. Um, so you've got all that going on. But I think a lot of the feeling that he's not getting hype, it felt like he did get a moment in the sun because, you know, Ryan yeah. McDowell was making a similar point. And then Matthew Kelly picked it up and said, well, if Ryan McDowell likes him. Um, but then it dwindles. And I think what you've got going on is there's five prospects. They're all great prospects. They all went to decent landing spots with decent draft capital, about the same draft capital, apart from Clyde Ebersolaire. And there's not a lot analytically or film-wise, because everyone thinks they're good prospects, to separate them. And so people are making spurious arguments, and then every now and again, one doesn't get talked about a lot. Like, we're going to be talking about J.K. Dobbins, and already in the back of my head, I can feel a small evil part of me going, like, people aren't talking about Cam Akers enough now. Because Cam Akers is a really great prospect as well, with the exact same plus. And good landing spot in terms of the team's dwindling. I really think it went all in, and now it's kind of in shock that Jared Goff couldn't couldn't do it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Sean McVay's seriously considering playing quarterback now instead of just telling him what to do. (laughs) He might do a better job. Um, You know, Jared Goff's fine, but um, it's funny to say it that way. So, yeah, that's what's going on. It's like Swift. Someone was arguing on Twitter the other day. You know, he was picked 35 overall, which is even better. (laughs) Technically, if you want to go by draft pick. And he's a great prospect that went to a team that likes to run. Not as good as, say, Baltimore. Not as good as Kansas City. But it's still a good situation to land in. And there's competition around them. Uh, Cam Akers only has Daryl Henderson, who might happen. He had a great profile in terms of ancillary numbers, like broken tackles and created yards and stuff, those secret numbers behind the PFF paywall. And so we've been told. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I mean, it's not less or more competition than Mark Ingram, who we know is definably good and had yeah. the, had a great role last year. Now, the some secreter or maybe a little deeper look at um, Dobbins, like, if we're to ignore all the noise and Dobbins is a running back of the class, the problem you have is that it's a team that likes to run. It's a very successful team, but it's a team where the quarterback took 30% of the rushing attempts. And that was Mark England's problem last year. He was good because he was efficient. Yeah. He was good because he got touchdowns and really were looking for a little less volume suck from the quarterback. Like, there is a correlation, like we used to say, um, you know, I remember back when, oh, God, this shouldn't be back when it wasn't that long ago. I'm not that old, but you know, um, Matthew Berry used to talk about um, Robert Griffin being good for his running back because he helped spread the ball around. He helps mm-hmm. make it more efficient. There's another runner to look out for. And that was always true. Um, and that's still true. But when you're, you've got a really good running quarterback, like a thousand yard rushing quarterback getting 30% of the opportunities to actually run the ball. And that makes sense for the team because he's good at it, even if it's a risk to the player. Although I have seen some data to suggest 
that it's actually less of a risk for quarterbacks to rush in the way Lamar Jackson does. Like the injury risk might be lower. I mean, sometimes it's better to get out the way than stay there and get hit, I guess would be the argument. And, you know, running hits can be better in some instances than standing like a statue and getting smacked by a guy specifically trying to smack you. Um, But um, (laughs) that would be my problem. I mean, marking runs really good, but we do, I think that running back, opportunity is a lot more about coaching um, and team decision than it is about necessarily running back talent. Like I do think running back talent exists and I think it matters. I think it's hard for us to measure and accurately separate out, but the team where it, where it's such a one man focused position, even if you have a committee, like, like the team can say, well, marking room, you good, but we got this guy to do it now. And then it's JK Dot. Like that's yeah. not as much of a concern to me as you might think it's more the team's not going to stop using this incredibly successful quarterback to do what he does and that's that's a con- like the it was a concern for ingram and it did hurt him like he he did wasn't a top 12 if i remember right really good in fantasy but that's his limitation to me the big wide scale limitation it's good team great team likes to run team but the quarterback's going to take a lot man it's going to come down a little bit probably I think that's the problem with Dobbins, but that's not a big like. If that if he's if he's the top running back in the class, you still take him one on one overall, and you're very happy with it in yep. most classes. Like that's not a ooh, I've got to be scared of J.K. Dobbins. It's just this slight concern that maybe moves him down under under Jonathan Taylor, maybe moves him down under Clyde Edwards Hilaire because mm-hmm. he's also got the first round draft capital. Damian Williams, it's not Mark Ingram, even though he's pretty good. He's he's capable. Um, and I think that's what's going on. Like every time we talk about one, it feels like you're not talking about yeah. the other. Oh, absolutely. We, and, like, and you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and like, like you said, I mean, there's five of them, so it's not like one of them's just gonna, okay, we're going to hype this one. Like you said, for a little bit. Um, and, and the others will fall by the wayside. It, it, it seems there's that clear one, two and uh, wh- whomever you want to pick first, but uh, Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and then the other three are mixed. Um, I think I have Dobbin third, but yeah, I but and, and I think that's. I mean, I'm fine with where where he's going. I, I I just, um, well, according to DLF ADP, he's going fourth. Um, but, okay. Uh, regardless, I mean, people like DeAndre Swift. I love DeAndre Swift coming in, but See, I had Swift under him and Acres. That's the way I would do it. It'll be uh, Taylor Hilaire. Dobbins, then Acres, then Swift, and that's there's n- like I wouldn't complain if you took any of them. No, nope. like that's what I'm saying. Like oh, it's fine. <laughs> so right. so, like I'm going Swift. Okay. Like I can't tell you you're wrong. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess for me with Dobbins, so um, and you but, know, respect to Ingram, it's not easy to be efficient. Efficient no. means you're being extremely good with the touches you're given, yes, essentially. Yes. Yeah, so, so not, I, I, yeah, I'm task. not. I don't want to dismiss what Mark Ingram did by any means. Right. I mean, he 200. Uh, no, not even. He had 231 touches. If you ju- if you count targets as touches, he had 231 touches, and he was the RB11. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> but you know, Dobbins is purely impressive as well on his prospects. Yeah. So, uh, well, and one so- nice thing that I do like about Dobbins is that, uh, and and I'm going to repeat a. a tweet from our friend tacit assassin here um he he had he was following and this was late last year but following we're looking at uh from 2014 to 2018 
Um, he looked at running backs in terms of what receptions mean in terms of success in the NFL as a pass catcher. And he found that it looks like only 14 of 85 running backs that had fewer than, or no, only 14 of the 85 running backs who had uh, 30 or more catches in the NFL, only 14 of those had less than 20 receptions. So 20 receptions is kind of a mark in co in college that was, sorry. So 20 receptions is kind of that yeah. line where you see guys that are that catch 20 or more balls um will be more successful in catching catching the ball or the the football in the NFL and Dobbins had 20 plus receptions in all three of his seasons plus well over 1000 yeah. yards in each one of those seasons. So his metrics or his his numbers look fantastic just in terms of um, breakout age, uh, college yards per carry, college dominator. I mean, they're not like dominant. They're not t elite level, but they're they're good numbers that – and when you land in a situation where I – th I think they're a little – sorry, I think they're a little better than good. I just want to say, like I, I call it the Zach Reeb rule. Yeah. Like I actually have a column in my database that tracks the number of seasons a player has to yeah. – oh, okay. in the running back tab. Just – Here's the thing about that stat. It's not predictive. Analytics guys would hate it, <laughs> and they do. But it's I like it because it's a simple way of looking for the same signal. Yeah. And frankly, because running back production isn't very predictive, you're essentially getting the same thing. It's just that the hit rate is a little fictional. But yeah, um, essentially what you're saying is a guy that gets is used heavily in the receiving game yep. is probably more likely is more likely to be used in the receiving game in the NFL, and that's good for fantasy, and that's good for fantasy. And so it's it's essentially the same signal. Like I'm tracking percentage of the yards from the rushing in the ring. That's not predictive either, but I'm just looking for who's a heavy receiver. Now, one of the problems with it is that like with Clyde Edwards Slayer, you can just be good one year. Right. So he has one year, two years actually with 20 receptions or more because he was used heavily in the receiving game before that. So it's not worse than JK Dobbins, but both were receiving backs. Right. I mean, Cam Akers has two years with 20 receptions or more. So does John Andre Swift. Jonathan Daler just has that one in his final season. Um, the number, analytically, the only number I can tell you production-wise that has significantly better correlation or you know connection to success in the NFL is actually fantasy points. Right. Fantasy points or fantasy points per game, no matter which way you want to look at it. Any other stat that I look at, you know, you're looking to get like an 8% correlation, not to nerd out on you. Sorry, I always like that. Like <laughs> When the best correlations like thirty five percent on most of these things, it's like eight percent. Like, yeah, and yeah, you're like, exactly. oh, well, eight percent's yeah. actually pretty good. And you're like, oh, okay. I love, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so you end up doing damage control, like you know, I can get a sixty six percent hit rate for Justin Jefferson, and people are like, man, that's good, and it really is analytically. But you got to remember that six out of ten, that's not, that's that's yeah. not great. <laughs> like yeah, there like, are four Justin Jeffersons that don't hit. Uh, running back points per game actually correlates 21% to actual PPR points scored over the first two seasons, which is the best like single stat that I can throw at you to say that. And, you know, like you say, 21% kind of sucks, but like it's better than everything else. And the reason I say J.K. Dobbins is actually better is he's one of these few running backs average over his entire college career. Like you said, he played three years. That helps. And running backs can just be good in one year. And so sometimes it's better to look at the best instead of the average. But I'm just used to looking at the average. 
Um, J.K. Dobbins over three years, which is more impressive because it is an actual on average, average 20 points per game. Um, and running backs that average that or get 20 points per game in a season, like that's a really strong signal they're yeah. actually good, if you know what I mean. Right. And the other running backs in the class that did it are Jonathan Taylor, um, John, Joshua Kelly, interestingly enough. Uh, who else was it? There was a couple, and it's rare you get more than two. And in this class, we had three or four. The other one is AJ Dillon, and I really don't believe in AJ Dillon. And it's more a team thing than a player yeah, thing. But he's sure. much more of a rusher than a receiver as well. Um, but sorry, Karim, uh, I just well, wanted to know. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I mean, we know he. I mean, obviously, with the numbers that you just gave, but with I mean, just the raw numbers. And I know that people are like, that's just box score watching. But I mean, the raw numbers tell me he right, was right, successful right. in a big, one of the big five conferences or the power five conferences. About all you can ask for, right? Yeah. He was good in college. Okay. Right. And I mean, <laughs> in terms of fantasy football too, it's like we want the running backs that are going to be able to catch the ball that are going to be on the field most of the time. And so that's why, I mean, J.K. Dobbins, could it, I just feel in in it's a slight I guess it's relative in terms of how I feel he's being undervalued or uh, he's going somewhat under the radar. Yes, we know about J.K. Dobbins, but my point is I think people are are devaluing him because of Mark Ingram because he's going to be behind Mark Ingram, and I don't necessarily know if you should be doing that because I feel like especially in redraft, but. Um, I, I just feel like J.K. Dobbins, like I said, could be a league winner if he takes over in the second half of the season. Now, in terms of dynasty, I completely understand why why he's going third, fourth, fifth, because you can tell yourself the narrative or you can create the narrative for all of these guys that they're going to be successful. So you want the guy that's going to be giving you points early and often. Um, so I, I definitely see why, but I, I think it's more warning of, even like I, I just actually traded back in, in my home dynasty league from 102 to 103 because of the fact that I have three starting running backs anyway. I have Chris Carson, Nick Chubb, and Austin Eckler, though that Joshua Kelly anecdote right there made me question a little bit my love for Austin Eckler this season. Um, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> but, but so I have those three. I only need to start two, and there's one flex. So I have those three. And then I moved back one, picked up I well over a round in value uh, on a later pick. And I get J.K. Dobbins, who, like I said, I feel could end up being the RB1 in this class very easily. Um, so I, I think that's where this, this story was going was, okay, well, we know J.K. Dobbins is going to be good. He might be a little bit undervalued currently because of the Mark Ingram situation. But at the end of the day, he could be an elite dynasty asset and he can be a league winner in redraft this year if you take like and, and I'm sure he's gonna go way later um in in redraft than he would in uh dynasty just because of the fact that he is behind Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. It's interesting because you really don't want to play the long game at running back. You want it right. soon and hard, like first two years, first year, right? <laughs> running back, second year, maybe. Derek Henry's are even more rare than uh, Devontae Parker's. You know, right. it, it's going to come early. And by the time it's late, like you're already aging out of our value window, mostly for running backs. So, like, you don't want to play, well, maybe in year two. Just bet on this year for Dobbins. 
And the other thing that occurs to me is you should be no more worried about Mark Ingram than you are Kerryon Johnson, frankly. He's been as good, if not better, because he was a lead guy in Detroit. But again, we're going to narratives because it's so hard to separate these guys out. It's like, well, Kerryon's injured, so the team wants to move on from him. It's like, well, the team made the same move in Baltimore to get Dobbins that 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 Detroit made to get Swift. Like that, I just because. Karen's injured doesn't mean the team is any more or less inclined to switch. I think that's a similar threat. And Karen Johnson's been good, as good as Mark Ingram. Not a top 12, but because he wasn't quite as efficient, then he got hurt. Um, and his receiving role was all down, whereas Mark Ingram was doing through time. I mean, don't make me say the whole debate, but I mean, I think they're equal threats. And the one thing that I can say that isn't a narrative is Swift is one of the running backs that didn't get to 20 points per game. I mean, don't. Uh, this isn't again. We're separating right. out a really like I love Swift. I'm not saying Swift is a Mir Abdullah, as someone spuriously said on Twitter once, and that became a fire thing. I, he looks really good. I want DeAndre Swift, yeah. but if I'm gonna try and separate out these really top five, mm-hmm. like that's one of the things that's not a narrative. Like if I take out the noise of Ingram versus Carrion and injuries versus not injuries, and just look at what they did, they were both really good. But J.K. actually crossed a threshold that is slightly more significant than most at running back that Swift didn't. It doesn't mean Swift's bad. It just means I'm trying to pass pass try apart two really good players. And so that's why Dobbins gets the edge of a Swift for me. Same with um, Cam Akers as well. Cam Akers comes below Dobbins, but he also did slightly better than Swift. And Swift Swift falls to five, even though I would take him top three in most drafts, you know, (laughs) and if not top one, if there wasn't, you know, two other great running backs. We you brought up offensive lines, and I think that's a good segue to the next guy I want to talk about, which is I think the most divisive running back in this class, and Zach Moss. Right. Um, I mean, he ran behind a good offensive line basically his entire career at Utah. Uh, a lot of people will point to his numbers. Um, had over a thousand yards in three three straight seasons. Um, running the ball, had double digit touchdowns. He had two seasons of over. 20 um, receptions. He's one of the best when it comes to uh, forced missed tackles, which we've actually learned might not, might not be the, it might be a confused metric a little bit, or a, maybe a metric that we shouldn't rely on too much at this point, because yeah, you can be great in terms of miss ta- force, missed tackles or co- uh, contact balance, but at the same time, maybe that means that you don't necessarily have the speed to last in the NFL if you couldn't force those missed tackles with your lateral agility or your speed. Um, we saw that. I mean, the best example we have is is David Montgomery last year. He led the. He had great contact balance. He, I believe, led the class in forced missed tackles or led the, maybe college. I think he might have led college in forced missed tackles, but he didn't have the burst. He doesn't have the lateral speed, and I think that's could be an issue here with Zach Moss and people will point, Oh, well he had that four, six, five yard uh, 40, but he pulled his hamstring or whatever. I don't know what's actually true there, but if you watch him play, his play speed is just not there. He doesn't have the burst. Mm -hmm. He's a big boy too, that like you would think, Oh, maybe he gets touchdowns. Maybe he gets those goal line carries, but he landed in a spot that his, his QB is a running QB and he takes a significant amount of goal line carries away um, in Josh Allen. So 
it's it's not only it's not only a committee with Devin Singletary who I believe was pretty efficient last season and showed he was good in the passing game. But you also have a guy, or you also have your quarterback taking away part of the one of the better parts of his game in terms of being that big goal line type of back. So I, I just I feel like Zach Moss is going to be a disappointment this season, like David Montgomery was last season, like like Rashad Penny. Sorry, Peter has been right. <laughs> has been for the first two seasons. I mean, mitigating circumstances, but we will see. Something, yeah. <laughs> okay, we we are waiting. We're playing yes, the long game like we shouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I just I know where the hype is coming from. Um, particularly to people, but it's just, I don't want to take that risk in a committee where I, I don't know if he's going to be able to take over Devin Singletary. And I just don't think he's, he, he's going to be able to do as well as people think because of the speed of the NFL. Yeah. Um, he profiles fine is what I'd say. Yeah. Like he's got two seasons of 20 receptions or more to use the Zach Reed rule. His um, points per game does hit 25 in his best and last season. For example, his average is 17 though. I feel like he had the role for multiple years though. Um, and didn't average like, um, like a DeAndre Swift, but DeAndre Swift um, profiles much better through yeah. his receiving role. Also his efficiency. Um, yeah, DeAndre Swift played three years. Zach Morris played four. And so you kind of adjust for that. You're getting this similar type of team role through less years. So his overall numbers are going to look better for Zach Moss, you know? So he just sat down. Um, yeah, that's kind of what he looks like. And where I wait and listen somewhat closely to the context or the opinions uh, on the how these players are playing, play speed, how impressive they looked on tape, uh, a running back more than wide receiver, like my overall impression might be influenced overly by that because his numbers are fine. But like I get the impression looking through his data that this guy's that. He's fine. He didn't stand out, um, which is perfectly good for the NFL. Like a good running back with Damian Williams, for example, can do well if given and earning the role. But I'm just... Like, I'm tired of everyone thinking Buffalo is going to produce mega yeah. fantasy. Like, it's like you got to get off the wagon because it feels like an edge because no one wants Buffalo, but a decent player goes to a spot where there's going to be a decent role until you're like, ah, no one's seeing it. It's like at some point, like several years ago, maybe two decades ago, you should have just accepted that that isn't an edge. People are just accurately not assuming that a decent player in a good role can be amazing in Buffalo. Like it's just not going to happen until the team gets a lot better. Like if Zach Morris, for, Morris, for example, had gone to Baltimore, our concerns would be the same with marking room. Could he overcome marking room? Less likely, but like, at least that's a better team. So you're starting to see a average mm -hmm. player or a good player go to a good role in a good team and then you get excited in buffalo i think it's fine what do we get out of singletary you can kind of expect that's zach moss as you said they're going to compete so you know who ends up leading that competition i don't know they could just end up pulling each other down with less scoring opportunities and less team success that's that just has a lower outcome i think and so that like, that's my real problem with Buffalo. The edge or the things people aren't noticing are all things that are actually reasonable to actually fade. Like, Buffalo being a running team isn't the same as 
Baltimore being a running team. You can run as much as you like. If you're not getting to the red zone as much, if you're not getting as many plays, if you're not scoring because your team generally sucks. And I know Josh Allen was a top 12 QB one, but let's not get into that just now. I mean, you've <laughs> got to accept the overall t- way that was produced. You know, it's extreme variance. It's he rushed because he couldn't throw, and that leads to poorer, poorer success for the team. That's why there are less points or less wins. Like, it's just not the same thing. If you can't accept that, then that's fine. I, I'm I'm happy to, you know, to accept it, and we'll see see what happens. The same thing that happens every year, or or this one thing that you keep betting on. It feels like betting on Buffalo players is like it's gonna happen once. So if I just mm-hmm. keep saying it's gonna happen, then eventually I'm gonna look like a genius because everyone will forget all the other times it happens. It's like it's fine, but I'm not playing an analytics game. I'm trying to I'm trying to draft the right players. I'm not, I'm not trying to look like a genius analyst because I just kept being the broken clock saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then twice it looks good. Like, um, that's just not what I'm trying to do. Well, and, and, and that's... Because Moss looks good. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he outcompeted Singletary, but at the same time, Singletary had about a similar profile. Mm-hmm. He was good in college. He didn't wasn't overly impressive, but he was good. And they've both landed in the same situation. So I, I don't know how to separate that out. Mostly it's just a situation I don't want anything much to do with. So, Well, right. And, and like you, I mean, like we said, you, where Baltimore has to, you have to take into account Lamar Jackson taking away carries. You, you do, have, I mean, not as many, but you have to take that into account with Josh Allen. And like I said, he takes well, away yeah, goal line Well, yeah, if you want carries. Josh Allen to keep producing, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. so, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, and, and, and he's a big guy who's going to get, a decent amount of rushing touchdowns because he's going to take a lot of the goal line carries, which is what like somebody like Cam Newton did. So, I mean, that's one aspect. I mean, it's interesting to talk about Buffalo because while I think, I I mean, Diggs is still ranked relatively high and, and in terms of him as a wide receiver, I don't think there was any question that he is a great wide receiver i mean he's one of the best route runners in the game no one's ever like yeah zero but but at the i mean if you don't think going from one of the most accurate qbs in the nfl to one one of if not the least accurate qbs and starting qbs in the nfl at least is an issue then i don't know what i don't know what else to tell you because while he did improve last year, he, his his uh, completion percentage went up 6%, which probably has to do with who is catching the ball. Because, I mean, when you get two vets like Cole Beasley and, and John Brown in there, they're going to be better wide receivers overall. You still are dealing with a sub-60% completion percentage. We know that can bounce. So I don't know why the addition of Diggs is – the addition of Diggs to me doesn't improve Josh Allen as a – passer and it actually hinders what Diggs can do because now you have john brown competing with targets who i think is i mean he's he's lower he's not he's where i i he he's not as good as Diggs. i was gonna say he's he's worse than Diggs, but that's not a good analogy because no it's a different player john like, brown is a good player but it's, I, and it's, that's the thing, though. I think Josh Allen had two good players, yeah. at least two players, helping him out last year. That's yeah. the other reason he got to the top 12. John Brown did amazing with what he was given, especially considering the yeah. quality of it. That's why John Brown did well, because he did amazing with something a lesser player would have done less on. Cole Beasley, underrated as hell, 
I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. Diggs is probably more of a Beasley player, but exceptionally better than Beasley. But and so it does help Josh Allen, but you can only do so much. We just saw two great player, good mm-hmm. players, really helping him out. One great player doesn't like increase it exponentially; it nudges it maybe. But he's also going to come down because he's just not good. So yeah. I mean, and John Brown's going to John Brown. He's going to do great with what he's given, but. I mean, there's a there's a notable ceiling there because of the quarterback, in my opinion. And Diggs is going to dig. I mean, just think, ju- just think, Alan Robinson, a phenomenal player who keeps getting stuck in worse situations. Yeah. It's not that you don't want him, and the market's gotten really efficient. The holding Diggs probably to where he should be. The same with Zach Moss. We we're just kind of dumping on him, but like I love him in the second round. Positional value, if nothing else, a decent player going to a team that does like to run. But you can't – there's not a top 12 outside there. But positional value holds sway. Running backs hit earlier. You do want to take him about where the market is taking him. That's not like, oh, you should just fade him and not take him unless he's in the third yeah, round. He's absolutely. going fine. He's draft, the market's really efficient right now. Same with Diggs. I mean, he's going at a really good ADP. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. I just – I just think he's going to be held down the same way Alan Robinson is. There's a much higher ceiling there. Maybe we're wrong on Josh Allen. He's sure a market improvement into his second season, almost unprecedented, but he would have to do that again twofold to actually get to beat what we're expecting of him. Right. And, you know, I would love it if he did it. This isn't an anti I like, I'm rooting for you, Josh Allen. I need more good QBs. I need more good wide receivers on my teams. So I'm rooting for it. It's just what we call less than less than probable, you know, it's it's less likely. And so that's just where we're at. Diggs is great and he's going to do fine, but he's not going to improve Josh Allen so much no. that um, it's going to make that production sustainable. It's going to make Diggs's production sustainable, especially going to a f- and second team. We know wide receivers struggle a little bit, even the great ones going to a new team. So he's got that to deal with as well. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the, and and the other part of that is where do you, I mean, do you really think that the bills are going to be going to throw that much more the way they're built? They're a run first defensive team. I mean, they ranked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They ranked seventh to last in terms of pass percentage last season. Um, so I I don't know how much more they're going to actually throw. They threw the ball what, 500 times last year. So th- th- with that, where the question is where are the target's going to come from. Well, and and we know that Diggs is efficient and has been efficient his entire career, basically. But he's also had one of, like I said, one of the most accurate QBs in the NFL, throwing him the ball the last two seasons. And like I say, I think Diggs can adjust to that. Like Diggs. Not to read into skill sets, but from what I know of the way Diggs produces his fantastic numbers, both through analytics and also just knowing, uh, seeing him. Yeah, okay. Seeing him a little bit. I watched a little bit. Just a little bit. And he's going to be where he needs to be, when he needs to be there, and he's going to make great catches and then do great things with the ball in his hands. But if the ball isn't where it's supposed to be and he is, you may as well not have been there. So he will will be able to adjust to that and go, okay, I can't expect the ball to be where it should be. And so he'll start adjusting to where it most commonly is when Josh Allen is missing his throw. And he'll, because he's a great wide receiver, he'll mm-hmm. start adjusting to that. But that's going to hurt him based on what he's done before with, a, yes. like you say, a more accurate quarterback. 
Well, and, so, and if they only throw the ball 500 times, uh, I believe that Beasley and John Brown each had like around 110 targets. I would have mm-hmm. to look those numbers up. But so where are you, where are you getting the targets from? Because Singletary is still going to be involved. Uh, Moss is still going to be involved. Dawson Knox probably not as much now. But still, I, I just don't know where those Again, targets think- come from. I think target throw to talent and Diggs is now the talent. John Brown's yeah. playing a very different role. I think his role can be pretty sustainable, but Diggs is just going to swallow Beasley and wide receiver three, four, five that we probably don't even know the names of tight end two. Like he'll, he'll suck up the volume. Um, but the volume is going to be less. He's mm-hmm. going to have a harder time being as efficient with it. Cause it's worse. I mean, he'll do fine, but like, He's not going to add targets because Josh Allen is the problem, not the wide receivers. With yeah. three good wide receivers, you could say, you know, the volume's going to increase. But the thing with Baltimore is if you throw more, you're just going to be off the field quicker and more often and get mm-hmm. less overall attempts because you're not as good at moving the ball, throwing, even though that's more a better way of moving the ball because you're bad at throwing the ball. That's just, that's why they lean on the run, not because like Baltimore they have this designed offense, just because they're coping with a bad quarterback. It's like um, it reminds me of the 49ers. Like it's hard to see upside in the offense because this great offensive scheme is great because it's adjusting to its players very effectively, but it can't do better than that. If you put a good quarter, better sorry quarterback in there, then it could have room to expand. But at the moment, it's remo- it's operating a remarkable efficiency because of great scheming and great play calling to co- to compensate for its players. It's not great players doing well with the scheme. It's a scheme coping with the players that it has. And so same thing in Baltimore. It's hard to see increasing when it's already doing as well as incredibly well with what it has it, that it's available. If you see what I'm trying to say. No, yeah. It, yeah it, no, it's a I, backwards logic thing. You can't progress from something that's already operating extremely well. It's right. already there. And this is what you're getting out of it. So if the passing gets better, and that's why I go to Josh Allen, like it could expand because Cole Beasley can suck up targets from someone else. And Stefan Diggs can help add passing attempts because now they've got a better receiving game. But it's, that's not the problem with the receiving game. The wide receivers he had were good. They could have helped him do that anyway. I, I, um, I agree 100%. I, I just Buffalo is kind of one of those, because I think Singletary is good value. I think Diggs is probably good value right now. He's going as wide receiver 23, which is actually kind of crazy value for Diggs. But and Josh Allen's probably your um, – I mean, he's probably still got top 10 QB upside just because he runs the ball. But overall, like, I don't think you can expect much more than RB2 numbers at at, at the peak for Singletary. I don't think you can expect much more than wide receiver two numbers from Diggs. So those are guys where it's like, yeah, I'm kind of staying away. But if they're like my R- wide receiver three or uh, RB3, I feel okay with it. Alan Robinson's a better comp than I thought. I mean, think about it. Greg Bortles had those great seasons, mm-hmm. and we expected more because, you know, he's got great receivers, and he's been productive even if he's not great. But, like, you can't bump it twice. He had great seasons because he ran, and also his players helped him out. We can't say they're going to help him out. They were already helping them out to yeah. get there. And so what happened is the production fell off because they can only be, you know, they can only keep flipping the coin and hitting heads because of that <laughs> skill that it's so many times. When they're already maxing that, the next year it, co- it regresses a little bit. They're not compensating for him as much, and it comes down. And that's kind of what happened to Blake Bortles and Josh Allen, same thing. Improving the wide receiver core improves the team, granted. 
maybe, like you said, maybe it makes it more stable. Maybe we can expect, you know, top 10 upside because he rushes. And instead of hoping that they do even more insanely capable things, instead they added more talent. And so that makes it sustainable and everyone else can regress to becoming, you know, good instead of extreme inefficiency. And Stefan Diggs helps maintain that level. That I would accept that, but you can't see it expanding when right. the limitation is still there. Like you've still got the limiter on. The limiter is Josh Allen. Sorry, I just want to switch over because I mentioned, yeah. I know I wanted to talk about a team with three good wide receivers because it's a really difficult situation to read and I think it incorporates a lot. But this Zach Moss and also J.K. Dobbins talk, it reminds me of um, Denzel Mims. I was trying to talk about it with John Bosch the other day, but it wasn't an ideal situation. Like Denzel Mims, if I can ask you about wide receivers for a second, yeah, and he sure. profiles much more like this first tier of wide receiver. Like he fits perfectly with C.D. Lamb and you know, Jerry Judy. Yeah, okay, I'm accepting him. He's in there. And then you've got Jalen Rago. You've got Justin Jefferson. Denzel Mims looks like those guys, an incredible prospect. But he's not that because he went to the Jets with slightly less draft capital. And so like he's this mid-tier, I think, between those guys and the second tier that he looks like markedly better than. And I think he's getting lost in the shuffle. Like late late first round, early second seems fair for Mims, but I keep hearing him in conversations with Pittman and Ayuk. And like he's a much better prospect mm -hmm. than those guys. So I, I was wondering what you're doing with Mims and how you feel about him. I mean, I would be trading up into the I would be trading up into the second because I mean, like you said, he who else is going to catch balls there? You have Jamison Crowder, which I think he I Jamison Crowder is actually extremely serviceable as a as a, a wide receiver in fantasy because of his targets. And then you lost Robbie Anderson, or or as my uh, co-host on Dino Diagnostic calls him, Roby Anderson. Sorry, Aton, I had to call you out there. Um, but how many podcasts you got now, man? Like I don't seven? know, fifteen. I, I <laughs> I'm appearing on six this week. I think um, anyway. that is one I listen to though. The like I try to get through as many as possible. The diagnostics yeah. on the playlist. Don't worry, Aton. I'm I'm here for you, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I so I don't. I don't love the situation. It's not an ideal situation with Adam Gase and, and Sam Darnold, but at the same time, you took away Darnold's. Do I call him the number one wide receiver? I'm going to call him the number one pass catcher for the time being. And Robbie Anderson, we, we saw a stretch at the end of 2018 where Robbie Anderson and, and um, Sam Darnold were clicking. We saw another stretch, I believe at the end of 2019, where you saw the same thing. Denzel Mims, well, first and foremost, like, and this is looking at uh, the player profiler, which you write your or which you do um, projections, projections for. for yeah. um, but his best comparable is Chris Godwin, and that's largely based off of his his uh, metrics, his athlete athletic metrics. So I'm not going to say, oh, he's going to put. And again, Chris he's bigger. Yes, point that out. He's a lot bigger. <laughs> right. So, and and you also have Josh Doxson there, which ugh, just Josh Doxson. Maybe maybe he'll get the is it is it year six for him or is it year five for him? Oh, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> maybe he'll get the late late breakout like Devontae Parker. But um, yeah, no man, just no. I mean, not that I don't like Josh Doxson or good things on his profile, but the difference between Parker and Doxson was that Doxson looked like a maybe 
he's a late breakout who had some interesting characteristics, his size, his athleticism. Mm -hmm. Parker was a young breakout with incredible production, went to a bad, like the night and day. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, again, I'm rooting for Josh Doxson, but you got to draw a line somewhere and the late breakouts who don't break out, are, yeah. like I, I would think you have to be a pocket to do that. Well, and, you know? and I mean, he's landing again, not in a great situation with Gase, with Darnold, but point the point is that Mims could easily become the wide receiver one there for a guy who has a great, his great arm talent and, that he's got, he's the most athletic wide receiver that Sam Darnold has ever had in his short career. The uh, but the flip side of that is it is Adam Gase, and we saw last year what players getting away from Adam Gase did. I mean, Ryan Tannehill had an extremely efficient season uh, last year with the Titans and had finally had his kind of or he had his career year. Um, Kenyon Drake came on late after he got traded away from the Dolphins and and looks to maybe have another great year this year with Arizona. Uh, Devontae Parker finally broke out. After so many people loved him, he finally broke out away from Adam Gase. So it's just one of those things where it's like, is Adam Gase the issue? Um, so oh, I don't, Adam Gase is definitely the oh, issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he is an issue. <laughs> yes, but, but so I don't know. Is it like can – is Mims good enough to – does he have a, a good – is he good enough skill-wise? Is he good enough as a wide receiver to overcome issues that with Adam Gase? I, I don't know. That's the that's the large question that you need to ask. See, that's fair. Um, but where I go through player much more than coach or team, like I struggle with it. And to hold myself accountable to the Buffalo argument, it's got a similar problem, right? You mm -hmm. can't double count. I think a better wide receiver than Anderson is coming in. I don't think he can do that much more for the passing game, but he can do more than Anderson did. And Anderson was top 24 last year. Yeah. I really do think he's better than Anderson. I think he's better than Crowder. I think Robbie Anderson and, and Jamison Crowder both showed their above average NFL talents last year on a below average death chart. And that's why they were so productive finally in their careers. You know, we've been yeah. hoping and finally they did it. And that's, I think, because the ancillary talent was so terrible compared to these above average players. I think Denzel Mims' profile is like, but a far above average player. So if that's true, and you know, say he's Stefan Diggs in this scenario, and there's a lot of ifs there because this is a rookie we don't know nearly as much about Stefan Diggs. So what you're going to do is you're going to come in the comp double count and improve the offense, but the player can do more with what, what's available and suck up more, if not the same level as Robbie Anderson. And wide receivers take a little longer, so maybe we're talking about year two, but I, I think the potential's there year one. And the player can be top 24 plus, which is what we're hoping for most rookies. So you don't have to double count. You don't have to expand the offense. And frankly, if we're going to get into it, like I do think there's more of a chance that Sam Donald is a little bit better as a passer than what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't have as far to go as Josh Allen does still, despite, you know, improving drastically into his second year. Good job. Like seriously, he did an amazing job. But Sam Donald would have to improve, but it's not as marketed. Like we saw more in him as a rookie, more in, in college. I can't, I'm not a QB guy. I can't remember what he's done in the NFL. I know he's been injured. Um, but I don't think the distance is as far. So you could see the offense improve with a better play. Mm -hmm. And that's holding to the same logic and the same reasoning. But it's the Jets, and Mim seems to be a lot less hyped than, than a Stefan Diggs. And probably, I don't know what their cost is like. It sh Mim should be lower if the market is being efficient because we know less about him than we do Diggs. Um, 
but like I, I'm really excited about the player in that bad situation, and it's because you don't have to double count to see top twenty four and above, which pays off on where he's being taken and what he costs. Whereas a Stefan Diggs is more likely to pay off, but there's there's no more upside than top twenty four. Yeah, like I think there's potentially more upside than top twenty four for Mins because of the player, and you don't have to expand the offense to do it. So. Like I'm really excited about Mims, and I'm, I, you know, I, I, I've only got five rookie drafts, but I've got him in two, I think. So. <laughs> and I, on it, I mean, he, he, pro, I mean, his profile looks great because, I mean, 85th percentile college dominator, um, 60th percentile yards per reception, uh, his breakout age isn't is below 20 years old, so, like, he's got that profile to be like, yeah, I'm going to or he, he could break out his rookie season. I don't know if he does, but he, he has a great profile to be able to break out in year two. Um, and I think part of the issue with Darnold is that he's just had false starts to his development, to his career or early on in his career, because he, he was injured in, in year one, he had mono in year two. And after he got back from both of those, he was actually better. But it's just like fits and starts, and he he just needs to stay on the field for 16 games and be able to progress in, over a season instead of have basically only one full season in two years. Um, so I think that definitely helps, uh, or would help if he stays on the field and is is healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree because if if you look at where Mims is going, uh, he's going behind uh, Henry Ruggs, which. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, no, let's not do rugs. <laughs> no, that's yeah, fine. But I, know I mean, what you point, mean, and Michael Pittman's in Indianapolis, but he's still he's not the wide receiver no, one. You there. See, that's what I mean. He should not. He should be above that guy. Like I, I like I, you, good. I, I, it's I, like the Zach going, Moss of the right. wide receivers. I mean, I'm not and complaining about are going behind, right behind him. So it's like the, oh, I mean, who, when I'm you looking at I mean? this, like I want him to be in the back at half of the first, like. I, I I almost might take him over T Higgins, but I mean, even if he's just eleven behind T Higgins, it's just like then yeah, I then I think he's getting a little bit more um, I, I, credit, and and maybe he's a value right now because I I, I think there's significant landmines in this class where it's just like I would rather have uh, Mems than I mean personally Rugs than Keyshawn Bond and Michael Pittman. Um, right. Ayuk, LaVisca, Chenault. Yeah, I think there's a significant teardrop there, and it's hidden because based on some drafts and ADP, like that, those tiers are being blended. So you will see a Chenault or a Pittman drafted above him, and so it's a really interesting end of a tier mm -hmm. to target event. Yeah, I, I kind of really like Mims. And, you know, not a great, but an actual positive is there's a J.J. Osega-Whiteside thing here where everyone's comment on J.J. Osega-Whiteside last year was we couldn't expect much year one. And I said you could expect as much as any rookie. I think that was just trying to soften the take so no one got held accountable yeah. for him. But with J.J. Osega-Whiteside, and look, again, the market's efficient. Where, where you can get him the value, it's, it's a decent flyer. But, like, the, the, it's a benefit to know that if he can't do it year one or do certain thresholds at year one, you can just go, okay, that's not going to work out. But if a player with – and Mims has a lot better profile than JJ as well, and in mm -hmm. my opinion, the way I evaluate it. If he can hit certain thresholds, a player with that kind of metrics or that kind of profile hitting minimum thresholds is like 
salivation worthy. And if you can do that on the Jets year one, if you can get out your head not in year one, like we're going to know quick and early if mm-hmm. Mims is something we want on our teams. And the same with JJ. And with JJ, it went kind of the opposite way. His value is fine right now. You can take flyers on JJ because he has a decent profile. But if like Mims comes in and just sucks up 10% of the targets or 8% of the targets and catches, you know, three, 400 yards with that profile, you can really start to get very hungry for him. And you're going to know it early. And, and especially with a better profile, like that, that's those are the guys you target, you know? And if he comes onto the Jets and because of the team, it's not or inspiring fantasy wise, but we know his profile is good and he gets a significant for a rookie volume, then that's the play you really want to start adding as a year two. But we can do it right now at the end of a tier, like I said. So he's a really interesting prospect for me this year. Well, and you um, have to you have to like I while we shit on his coach, you have to like the pairing of it of a young wide receiver with a young quarterback who has plenty of arm talent um so yeah and i threw a buzzword out there for all of you just, with the just gotta talent. throw in a narrative at the end yeah. make, yeah, hey, we're listen, not going I, another hour here yeah. man <laughs> I, yeah I, i've take i just take drew Brees. i'll be fine i don't care that is you <laughs> no 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 i'm not i'm not saying that. i'm not i'm saying just the 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 pairing of the two i'm not saying take sam darnold no, i'm saying you gotta like mims growing up with darnold who has the ability to throw it deep and pretty and and off platform and with with good accuracy i don't like it at all you just turn me off mims you're happy <laughs> um <laughs> but more the more further i go at playing this game and having fun with it the more i think you just have to decide where to make the big bets where you get a, you win or lose based on these these big decisions that you make right and you know because be at the top of the league be at the bottom of the league same kind of um philosophy uh, that I've talked with again with John Bosch, and I kind of enjoy playing that way more. It's like just make a big bet, and if it goes wrong, you know where you know why it went wrong, but it went wrong on your decision. Now, right. if you just want to have a good team and you want to win and you want to be successful and you want to have a good dynasty and you want to think that way, then you don't have to. You take Michael Gallup when he forced you. No, I'm not saying you have to play this way, but I do think there's a significant edge, and that's what I see more and more. I get in contact with the big league players. Like with um, Jacob Rickrow plays high stakes. I'm in a best ball that is not high stakes because I don't have that kind of money. But yeah. a lot of them play in it, and I see them do it all the time. It's making this big bet, yeah. but then being remarkably sufficient about wh- where they make those bets and also adding the value significantly the rest of the time. And, and they go all in. It's, it's taken Austin Eckler way too high for the, for the mm-hmm. risk, but yeah. then it pays off, and you're like, hey, I got Christian McCaffrey come at me right you know, you've got right. down well, and, and, and everyone's I, envious of your team that's how you get there well and um, i think you made a good point though in that you 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 have to make them strategically like you need to you have do. those yeah. guys that are going to put up fantasy points you need to have the michael thomas's the julian edelman's of the world and so you can take those swings i mean uh, that uh, that's how you win weeks that's how you win championships because one of those guys that can get you two touchdowns on four targets right you got to take those swings sometimes but you got to balance it out and that's the best way i feel to build any roster anywhere is okay get those solid guys that you know are going to produce week in week out so you have that floor but now you have a ceiling with a guy that could just hit a home run nick chubb throwing 90 yard nine yard touchdown on one carry um type of uh type of games 
and it actually circles back around to what you were saying at Dobbins at the start. And, you know, number five, JJ Zacharyson just tweeted out, they wrote a league winner. What is a league winner? Where do you find them? Article. You don't fade a potential league winner if you strategically make the bet. Like the rest of the team, you got to be safe with. But like every now and again, you just got to go in. This is a league winner. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least I know why. And if it works out, I win. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm done. You, you want to? Yeah, I'm good. Rail on no, me that for was that. a great. That was a great conversation. <laughs> I, I I had fun, man. Yeah, I, I really too. appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy uh, guesting on, you know, uh, fantasy leading podcasts <laughs> and starting your own and winning Scott Fish World Championships two years ago. Um, uh, I, just, I so, former, so just for champ. just so everybody knows, I'm I'm stepping up my game this year in terms of my my video. So. <laughs> I Can't you wait. might love it, you might hate it. I don't really know, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, if you hate it, you'll love hating it. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, take those out, man. You you gotta watch it. Gotta keep an eye on Stompy. It's always fun, man. And <laughs> <laughs> he's really good. Uh, anyway, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, um, thanks for coming to the Crossroads. I will see you again next week, and hopefully, I'll get to talk to you again on here again. again, yes, again, again. Stompy. Yeah. Uh, all right. See you guys later. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical